I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to The Mindful Living Show. So I'm joined today by Laura Bentley, a self-proclaimed life balance coach, and we'll find out about what is a balanced life uh, coach and uh, the role that that entails uh, in just a little while. And so welcome to the, uh, the show, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. It's great. So for those of you, um, or those of the listeners rather, who uh, don't know you, um, give us a little bit of background about yourself and kind of what brought you into the whole sort of concept of, of coaching people to have a balanced life. So I have been a coach for a self-employed coach for around nine months. Prior to that, I was working in learning and development for a tour operator. And I've been doing that for 15 years, working for the same company. And of course, COVID very badly affected the travel industry. And I decided when they announced that voluntary redundancy was an option, that I would take it and I would launch my own business. And the reason that I knew that it was the right thing to do in the right time, despite all of the the wrongness about the pandemic, was because I felt very drawn to be able to support working mums in particular to make the big decisions in life more easily and decisions around their career, around their fulfillment, their happiness and their contribution to the world in a way that felt motivating to them in a way that felt more empowering and through lots of conversations I've been having with my own friends with uh, clients up until that point and seeing online I knew that there was a need for coaches to support women in this way. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of the things that um, you talk about, and we'll we'll sort of uncover some of those things as we go through this conversation, but I think these things do apply pretty much to everybody in every walk of life. But I think what we find and what you see, I'm sure, is that these things kind of get emphasised a lot more in kind of what you might describe as working mums. And I know you talk about... um, an interesting concept which I want to sort of pick your brains about really this whole idea of kind of mum guilt kind of how what what is that and how does that kind of show up from your perspective it's a construct of the society that we live in unfortunately and it's the feeling that if you are a mum in particular and I'm sure that dads have this too but I can't speak from their perspective but predominantly mums feel like they're doing everything wrong a lot of the time because there's so much information out there that if you choose one way for your child, somebody else has an opinion on that and it's not the right way to do it. So you feel guilt or you feel guilty because you have gone out with your friends and left your children at home, potentially with their father or with somebody else responsible. But you feel guilty that you're not with them or you feel guilty that you are chosen to go back to work in some capacity and have had to put your kids into childcare. There is mum guilt associated with pretty much anything that you can do as a parent and that feeling is essentially that you're not good enough that you're not doing it right and in some way it's going to damage your children but what it really does is it undermines your identity as a person and it makes you prioritize yourself less and you put everybody else's needs above yours trying to assuage that guilt but actually what you're doing is just making everybody more unhappy really so where does this kind of come from? Because I guess if you would describe yourself and anybody listening to this, describe themselves as a kind of a confident person, I guess there's a certain sort of level of um, both self-assurance, but also feedback from the world that, hey, you're doing a good job or, hey, you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Would, would a, a working mum or potentially um, going back to, to work mum feeling this kind of guilt? Is it because they're 
sort of not really kind of balancing their sort of internal structure and thought processes? Are, there, are they two kind of um, what you might describe sort of subservient to and to sort of forces and pressures? Are they, are they taking too seriously an almost sort of unbalanced way kind of what the world thinks of them rather than kind of starting from within? Definitely, I think there's a lot of comparison that happens as a, as a mum and looking around to see what other people are doing or what other people might be thinking about you. And so that can start to chip away at your confidence that you're doing it right. There's also a lot of information on social media and in the public domain generally that will tell you that you're not doing it right because for every blog that tells you that you should only feed your child puree food and stay at home with them, there's another one that says don't do that and go back to work straight away. So there's a lot of conflict of information and overwhelm of information, which begins to chip away at your self-confidence and losing that ability to trust what you know about yourself and what you deem to be most important and most valuable to the point where you will take on other people's opinions and judgments instead of really understanding what you think about a situation and how you want to be and act in, in your own life. Does that kind of almost sort of drag people, I guess, you know, sort of reactively into some kind of spiral then? It's, it sounds like it's like once you're in this loop, it would be a hard thing to kind of break out from, because I'm guessing, obviously, if you're looking to get back into work, it implies that you've been out of work and almost probably feeling like the world has kind of moved on, but you haven't. Yeah. So there's a lot of kind of catching up to do. Does that yeah. kind of amplify the effect of this Kind of sort of being in this confidence well low confidence loop yeah i think it has two things it either keeps you stuck where you are and means you don't flourish and, and go back into a career or a job that is really worthwhile to you and feels very challenging and rewarding or it means that you suffer for something that isn't necessarily fulfilling all of your potential in another way so you'll go back into a job or go to a job that is kind of good enough that you kind of feel grateful to have got because you've got kids and you wanted to be a bit flexible or work part-time or whatever it might be. And so you said something that's kind of good enough. And there's then a kind of, I imagine a nag, well, I think a nagging background noise of, I could be doing something else. Is there something else out there for me? Oh, but I can't because, and then lots of reasons coming up for why people can't then make a change. And yeah, it keeps you stuck and it keeps you playing in that smaller arena of, I'll just stay here, it's easier here, it, I know what I'm doing, it's not challenging me, but it will do. And at some point, that kind of feeling of it will do doesn't really serve you anymore. And that's when I see clients most is when they're at that point of now wanting to make a change because that feeling isn't enough anymore and they know they need something else to, to break out of that cycle. Mm, typically, what kind of... So, I mean, if there is an average person going through that sort of cycle, what, what kind of timescales are we looking at here? Is this kind of days, weeks, months, or are some people really locked into this for, you know, the long term? I think it's a, it's a very gradual thing. So from my own personal experience, I had been feeling for probably three or four years that what I was doing wasn't fulfilling me in the same way anymore. Um, but things were changing and small things were happening to make me move forward on the path, but I think it can be quite a long process. I think the change can happen once you have noticed and recognised you want to change. I think it can then happen really quickly. And I think once you start to want to see change in your life and start to take action, then the effects can be really transformational pretty rapidly. But you can be stuck in that 
previous bit for quite a long time, just feeling that something isn't right. I always describe it as like an itch that can't be scratched, it's just there in the background. And sometimes it's very loud, and sometimes it's very much dialed down, but it's always there. And then when you start to tune into that, that's when you can start to take the action towards making a change and, and stepping into something that's more fulfilling, however that looks like for you. And just as a side point, really, thinking about what success means to you individually is a really important part of this because there isn't a template for everybody of what that means. And again, we compare ourselves to other people's versions of success. Mm, I think a lot of people when they kind of have that moment of sort of realization, I guess there's a lot of kind of toing and froing. They might sort of have a, an internal dialogue going on. Is it, is it the right time? Am I in the right place? Could I, should I, that word should, which is always a difficult one because it implies that somebody else is in control of this and kind of calling the shots and writing the script was actually, it can be you. I guess, I mean, I know you use the word deliberation quite a bit to kind of describe this, this kind of dialogue that's going on again sort of with people how do they sort of see that start to move on to that point that you've just described which is okay time is now right for change because I'm guessing for a lot of people they can be well procrastinating I suppose is the word if you take deliberation on to, to the nth degree yeah. I mean for some people that must be a very uncomfortable sort of process mm, yeah and there is that constant back and forth between the pros and cons of doing something and trying to weigh all of the possible outcomes and the reasons to and the reasons not to. And at some point you have to make, make a move and you can't, you can only know so much, you can only control so much of the outcome. So almost by letting go of what the outcome is going to be can help you to make change because the reason that we procrastinate is because we are scared of what's going to happen and we're worried about the, the result of making change. It's unknown and it is daunting, but that keeps you stuck in one place. So the idea of deliberation, I, I find quite a, a good word because it kind of means you're thinking about something a lot and you're considering all the different options, which is necessary, but at some point there isn't anything else to think about and it just takes the, the, the courage to make a change. And that's where people often need the most help is just to have someone who is not really um, necessarily a part of their life and doesn't know them so well, a bit of support to say, you can do this and this is the way you're going, we're going to do it. Or they figure out the steps they want to take for themselves, but that bit of courage to go for it. And, and I love the phrase, um, jump and the net will appear, because it's, it is true that when you go for something, it, you have got to the point where you've thought about it so much and you've considered all the options, actually it is going to work out. It's just, it is going to work out, but it's trusting that it's trusting in your own abilities, your own conviction and courage to do the thing in the first place, which is the hardest, the hardest bit to do, I think. Because mm, we, we do, I mean, I think it's, it's a human trait, isn't it? I think there are very few people who don't catastrophize, you know, potential outcomes, even if you're the most positive person in the world. There are still times when you have self-doubt. There are still times when, you know, you don't have that courage, even though, you know, you're technically capable, you know, the world is aligned in the right kind of way. And yet for some people, even the smallest step or the smallest jump requires a huge amount of courage. I mean, where does, when, when you sort of see people actually you know, making those changes and maybe you coach them, where does that actually come from kind of within them? Because yes, it's all very well you giving them the permission to kind of think about it and work with you and, and kind of encouraging them through. But it, from them, from their perspective, it, it has to kind of come from them, doesn't it? Where, where does that actually come from? 
I think it's about taking the time to explore your thoughts and feelings in a slightly more considered way. And in fact, the irony of the word deliberation is that it can also, you know, you've got deliberate as well. So being more deliberate and mindful and intentional in how they are thinking and, and behaving starts to allow them to recognize, okay, so that thing I've been feeling about not being good enough, how is that really helping me? And why do I do that? And then uh, sort of unpicking that a little bit to the point where they can realize, no, it's not really helping me. I, I can put that to one side now. I can, I can leave that be and I can move on to something else. So it's almost that realization of the thoughts that I have do not have to control me and they do not have to be the way that I think. Um, and, and sort of allowing them to explore what else could be and reframing what they've always thought about themselves without necessarily recognizing it. Mm, it's interesting, and this um, sort of resonates with an earlier podcast um, that I, I did with uh, in conversation with Sarah King, and, and she was talking a lot about kind of heart-centered decision-making, and I think that's really, again, what we're talking about here, isn't it? You know, it's, it's all very well going through the, the mental and thought processes to make those kinds of decisions, you know, do I want to apply for that job, do I want to make this decision, but actually then being led by the heart often gives you a much clearer, much cleaner, simpler, purer kind of decision process, doesn't it? Mm. And I would actually even go beyond that, and I talk a bit more about gut-led decision-making, because I find that the best decisions that I've made have really been based on gut instinct, and that's where I feel physically the connection for me is what's going on here in my gut. And heart and head play a part, but for me, they aren't quite as intuitive as the gut. And I believe that the gut is where it all kind of happens in terms of knowing what's best for you and knowing what's right for you. But it's the same sort of principle of not letting the logic and the brain take over and not trying to rationalize everything, but actually connecting to a, a different way of making your decisions. And I think sometimes people can think that is a little bit superficial perhaps, or that it's not taking the practicalities into consideration, but sometimes the practicalities stop you from doing anything. And so it's a balance of all of the different things, but actually what does your gut say and how can you listen and tune into that? So when I was offered voluntary redundancy, my gut instinct was, yes, I want to take that. Those were the words that went through my head. And then I talked myself out of it because it was a bad time to start a new business. But I kept going back to that feeling of that, that was the pull for me. And that's what I listened to. And I think it was the right decision. Mm, it's an interesting one, isn't it? it it's, it's kind of, as you say, it's having that confidence to go with the quick snap mm. choice or the quick snap decision, but almost before the mind cuts in and says, ah, yes, but there's 101 reasons, which I'm now going to replay to you yeah. as to why that's not a good decision. Yeah. How, do, how do you kind of switch that bit off? Because I mean, that for, for most people will just be, oh, let cut back in. I can't do it because. And yeah. then you're in that loop again and round and round and round you go. And that moment of capturing that kind of gut feel is gone. Yeah. How, do you, how do you stop that from happening? I am a big believer in reflecting on, on those situations and, and using some sort of writing to help with that. So taking a bit of time to note down the thought that you had and then the feeling that you had because of that thought and what you did as a result of that thought and that feeling and trying to see where you can put a circuit breaker into that so i had a thought that i wouldn't be good enough to set up my own business so that i felt uncomfortable so that i didn't do anything and sort of noticing that pattern and thinking where could i have made a 
a bit of a break in that cycle. Could I have thought something differently about myself? Okay, what could I have thought? Maybe I am good enough, and this is the evidence I've got to say that I am good enough. So now I feel a bit more confident about it. So perhaps I'll explore what starting a business means. It doesn't have to be the massive, huge, handy noticing right there and then step. It can just be small things on the pathway to the bigger thing that you start to notice and you start to act on. Mm, so when you talk about being a balanced life coach, which is kind of how you sort of position yourself in, in, in the world, mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, what is it, what is what you're um, kind of selling and, and preaching and, and condoning um, as a good way of doing this is to really kind of be taking time out because it sounds like any kind of journaling, note taking each time you think and feel something or you get a reaction to something, it, it requires time. And of course, if you've got the kids running around, you're juggling, you know, cooking tea, you've got some you know, phone calls that you've got to follow up from work, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost like you have to be making the time to do this, don't you? Yeah, you have to schedule it in, unfortunately. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't just happen. And being a parent or being a, a human adult in the world is is busy and there is always something to be done. There's always a to-do list. There's always somebody else that needs help or needs something sorting for them. But unless you get into the habit of of things like journaling or meditation or yoga or whatever the thing is for you that gives you that headspace, it will not happen. And one of my values is really about taking action in order to make things happen. And I think we sometimes expect that the change will come to us, but we have to be a part of it. And we have to be proactive if we want to see things be different. And so I totally appreciate that it's difficult to find the time, but it doesn't need to be hours and hours. It can be five minutes of just, okay, for those thoughts, even on your phone, like, not, like jotting it down on your phone is something that I do quite regularly, it just comes to me. Um, so I just think giving yourself permission to rest and have that time out and to, to use that time in a different way can be really, really beneficial if you want to see change. Mm, and one thing I'd like to say actually on the balance front is that I don't really believe that you can have your life in perfect equilibrium at all times, but it's more about having a balanced mindset so that when things are tough, you have the mental toolkit and the mindset to be able to look at that situation and, and be compassionate to yourself if that's what's needed or challenge yourself if you need to do that so that if the balance is off whack for whatever reason it's a temporary state and you can deal with that because you have kind of equipped yourself to be able to do it and I like to use the analogy of juggling glass balls and rubber balls all the time and just being aware of day to day what are the glass balls that you can't drop and what are the rubber balls that you can put down and that you don't need to be holding on to quite so tightly and do you know which are which and if you can do that it does allow for a bit more balance because you aren't holding everything as in equal importance which I think we're all a bit guilty of doing and thinking that everything is really really important at all times so I use that analogy quite a lot to, to help with the idea of, of balance. I think a lot of people obviously like analogies and metaphors and, and tools. You, you mentioned the word there, toolkit. I, I know because you know, we've had an earlier conversation about the, uh, the concept of Ikigai being part of a, um, a fundamental toolkit, which can help you kind of obviously rediscover things, not only, um, you know, your reason for looking to get back into work or to, you know, make a life change, career change or whatever, but as something that can be, 
yeah, a real tool for sort of taking time out to reflect on kind of where you are, where you'd like to be, where you could be, because it opens up opportunities. How are you, how are you finding with um, potential working mums um, using Ikigai? How, how does that kind of work out? It's really good. It's been a really helpful addition to my coaching practice. And I think the sections that I have seen people find hardest within the Ikigai model which if people aren't familiar with it you look at what you love what you're good at what you can be paid for and what the world needs for you and if you can identify all of those things then you can start to live in alignment with your ikigai which is your purpose your meaning of life and your motivation and so i think from the the clients that i've worked with when they're thinking about what it is that they love and how to incorporate more of that into their life they struggle to give themselves the time to do it um, financially as well is always a bit of a sticking point but mainly it's the permission to put themselves first and to prioritize their needs and to prioritize what makes them brings them more joy and then the area around what they're good at is often a big struggle too because they find it hard to articulate their skills and their strengths in a way that doesn't feel arrogant is a word that comes up a lot not humble is another one and um, too big for their boots and these are all traits that are, wouldn't often be used to describe men who talk about their strengths. And so I think it's particularly hard for women, especially after having had children, when your whole identity is shaken up and reshaped and thrown in the bin for a while to, to recognise what you are good at and to recognise what you're good at generally rather than just specifically in work. Because being a mum as to your skill set in ways you would never imagine you become so much more adept at a lot of things that you have to by necessity so it's about recognizing those skills as well as the on paper what i have done to become successful so far um, i think that's really important but yeah it's that kind of concept of i can't say that i'm good because people will think x y or z about me and that fear of judgment that fear of what other people are going to think about them is something that can be quite limiting and, and hold you back from making bigger steps and, and changing something in, in your life generally. Mm, so is it, is it to kind of overcome that bit, is there something about real kind of authentic truth, real honesty? So actually thinking if you're going through this process or if anybody's listening and thinking, you know, this is me, this is this is me talking myself from that career move or, you know, that life change or something fundamental that I know I probably need to do, but I've just haven't really got the courage and confidence to do it and I'm possibly not good enough to do it. Actually helping people to almost look in the mirror and just be really brutally honest and, and, and truthful with themselves because a lot of those things that you say there about I'm not good enough, often it's not the truth is it and these people are actually fundamentally really great at doing things and yet almost are embarrassed and, and too humble like you say how, how does somebody get over that hurdle because you know apart from surrounding yourself with people who are going to tell you you're brilliant every day it's quite that's quite a big hurdle to jump for some people isn't it yeah again i think it's about reflecting back on that so what do people tell you that you are good at and, and taking a compliment is, is a really simple way to start to acknowledge your strengths. If someone says something nice about you, just say thank you, as opposed to trying to downplay it or shrug it off. But also the idea that not you don't need external validation to tell you that you're good, that you can start to believe that for yourself. And just repeating it, so having a, an affirmation or a few words stuck up on a post-it on your screen or on your fridge to say, I am good enough, simple as that. 
can be really helpful to just kind of get it into your brain and embed it a little bit so that you feel a bit more attached to it and then you start to believe it so I think affirmations play a big role in this they, they can't solve everything and they're, they're not a big plaster to put over a, a tricky situation but they can be really helpful just to get into the habit of hearing those positive things about yourself and and trying to be kinder to yourself we, we are as we know our own worst critics and I like to talk about another analogy of having an Alexa in your head and sometimes you've got her on volume 10 where she's being really negative and telling you horrible things about yourself but you can choose to turn that down you can even put her onto whisper mode which I did not know about and Alexa can be whispering to you and, and you don't have to listen quite so much to the negative talk that's coming from you from yourself you can have a choice not to do that so I those kind of things can start helping you to, to have a bit more self-belief. But it's a really hard thing if you have spent the last however long believing that you aren't good enough or you aren't worth enough or you aren't capable enough. So it's a slow, it can be quite a slow process, but once you start, it becomes easier like anything. Mm, it's attention, isn't it, really? Not, not getting attention from others. I'm talking about paying attention, being really present and, and almost noticing those little subtle cues that, uh, okay, the time is right. And, oh, yes, I've actually I've got that little moment in time. I can use that time and it can be time for me. It's not time I've then got to constantly be giving to others. It's okay to have my own time. Um, and, I, and I know from sort of family, friends and, and others about this, and particularly with mums looking to get back into work, again, that there's no perfect time to do that. It's, it's a little bit like anybody in a career looking to change jobs. There's no perfect time to jump. And there's no perfect time to actually be thinking, okay, there is that ideal job. Okay, now is the time to go. It, it might not be. So, so perfection doesn't exist, does it? This is all about just awareness and flowing with well, you know, the, the joy of the journey of life, I guess, to use a cliche that is no, balance. I think the, the right time thing, that does come up a lot for people as, you know, this is the right time to make change. And I think the question I would always say back to you is, in a year's time, if you still felt like you feel today because you haven't done anything, what will that mean for you? And so it helps people to then think, I don't, I don't want to be like this in another year's time, I can't possibly. Or they'll think, oh yeah, no, maybe I'm fine. And it's not the right time for them because the right time is only within you it's nothing external like there isn't a right time to do anything apart from when you know it in internally so connecting with what would happen if you didn't do it is a really powerful way to know if it's the right time or not for you it's mm, really interesting isn't it so that the whole kind of mix then between sort of self-empathy so really understanding how you're feeling how it looks and you know how you respond to stuff the whole kindness thing there being generous really with yourself with time not feeling the guilt there's a whole bunch of, it's, it's a really kind of emotional soup of things going on here isn't it really it's actually sounds quite draining in lots yeah. of ways it's quite it's hard yeah. work I, and a word that comes up a lot when people come to their first session with me is exhausted I'm exhausted and it's because they're trying to do everything and be everything to everybody and they are losing themselves within that and it may not be possible to stop doing all of the things but it is possible to change the way you think about things and the way you react and respond to the situations that you are finding yourself in really really interesting and as I said at the start you know a lot of this obviously your your focus professionally is is to the working mums kind of environment and um, all the challenges of that face but I think you know certainly for every listener no matter what walk of life they're in male female you know, 
large, medium or small, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's just really, this is applicable advice and guidance, I think, for everybody, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is allowing yourself the time, being brutally honest with yourself about the good and the, the challenges and the weaknesses and, and recognising those not as bad things, but just as things. And, you know, and accepting that there is a reality here, but that there's huge opportunity as well. And if you can be kind to yourself, open up those opportunities and using something, as you say, like Ikigai to kind of get, get alignment, I think, with the stuff that you're good at and that you love, but also that the world will recognise. Because I think we've almost come full circle back to the, yes, but what are people going to think? Well, I think if you do all of these things, they're going to think, oh, my goodness, he or she's really empowered. Wow, their confidence is built. Wow, they're actually doing good stuff. And I think it is about that affirmation. It's all very well having, you know, self-affirmation. But I think once the world reflects back to you, do you know, I've seen a real change in you. And it's said in a good way, that can only do good and, and refuel it, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there was a lot to be said for what you put out into the world and what you get back. And I think it's a gift, really. It's a waste of your gift if you're not sharing that with other people, if you're keeping yourself invisible and small and you're not really stepping up into your true potential because you're scared of what people will think. That's not going to benefit anybody. So I think it's, it is about bravery and courage and just and going for it. And I know that sounds very easy to say, but actually that's what it boils down to really is at some point you have to take the leap and see what happens. Mm. So if anybody wants to take the leap and make contact with you because they love what they've heard and they think, oh, I want to be working with Laura and she needs to be you know, coaching me, how do they get in contact with you? Please go to our website, which is www.thatbalancedlifecoaching.com. And you can book in a free introductory call, which is one to 30 minutes just to explore whether coaching with me would be helpful to you and what you um, what the benefits would be. Or you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn at That Balanced Life Coach. Brilliant. Thank you so much for all of your insights and ideas today, Laura. It's been really, really fascinating. And I think yeah, for lots of people, I have no doubt they're coming out the other side of this thinking, oh, do you know, this might be the time I'm going to make a start. And I think, you know, that's all we can wish for, isn't it, really? Just start now. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you very much, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Neil.